In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me on the show today is Louise Story. She's the former Chief Product and Technology Officer and Chief News Strategist at the Wall Street Journal. She's also been a senior leader at the New York Times and taught at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism and the Yale School of Management. Louise is uniquely positioned as both a technologist and senior editor, having been the only individual in the industry to have worked as both a senior mastered news coverage leader as well as a chief technology officer. She was also the first woman at a major U.S. news brand to serve as chief technology officer. In today's conversation, she highlights the opportunities AI presents for reporting, user experience, and personalization. We also discussed the role of data in AI implementation and how leaders can build a culture of experimentation with AI and incorporate it across the organization. Welcome to Newsroom Robot. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Great to be here. Luis, you've been at the forefront, really, of integrating cutting-edge technology into Newsroom during your time as the Chief Technology Officer and Chief Product Officer at the Wall Street Journal. You've really pioneered AI innovation in the Newsroom there. And AI in journalism has become this big hot topic now. And I want to really understand more of what it's like as a newsroom leader integrating AI into your company. How should we be thinking about this moment in time that lots of newsrooms are currently thinking about? I'd like to start off basically with your time at the Wall Street Journal and understand how are you leading AI innovation and building your team to pioneer these sort of efforts? So I have a unique perspective on AI and the news because I'm a longtime journalist. 
and a news editor. I've run coverage at the Wall Street Journal and at the New York Times. And I'm also a technologist because I was the chief product and technology officer at the Journal. And a lot of work I've continued to do in the news industry has been in the technology space. And so I don't look at it as, is it news or is it technology? I see it as both. And AI is really kind of the culmination of a lot of the technology revolution that has been going on in news companies across consumer tech. At the Wall Street Journal, one of the big things that I and other leaders there worked on was changing the culture so that it could be a place that could adapt with new reader interests, consumer interests, and also adapt with new technology tools. And I just want to step back and say, like, what does this mean at a news company to adapt? On its face, newsrooms, news companies are not set up for experimentation, right? Because they're set up to get it right, to get it perfect. And it's not a good thing to get something wrong or to make an error. And the machinery of a news company runs the same in many ways every day. It put out these stories, you have the budget, load these ads, sell these ads, you know. So you could say they're not set up for experimentation. But on the other hand, news companies and newsrooms are set up for experimentation because actually news companies are a hub of curiosity. They're a hub of learning. They're a hub of reporting on new things. That's what journalism is. And that's what journalists do. And in fact, news companies put out something new every day. What a great way to experiment. And sometimes now, every hour, every minute, stories are coming out. So actually, they're meant for experimentation in the sense that there's so much product flow that you can experiment on. And let's be honest, actually, newsrooms and news companies do make mistakes. It's called the correction page. Look at it. There's corrections all the time. And so I think that part of what you have to do in a news company is help people view themselves differently, view themselves as the experimenters and the learners that they actually are. And it's just a little bit of a mind shift. And so at the Wall Street Journal, some of what we did that worked really well to shift the culture and to ultimately make it a place that did far more or early deployments of AI than I think pretty most news companies have done are that we focused on bringing people into this more innovative culture of experimentation. And so, for example, we did some just simple things like we had something called the innovation or idea portal where people could submit ideas about things they wanted to try. We also had weekly meetings. We called them the momentum meetings where people, both reporters would come and talk about stories and people from product and technology would come about and talk about new features in the same meeting with each other. And it was the norm of this meeting for people to talk about what did not work as well as it could have. And this starts getting, you're in a culture of experimentation when you start looking at, well, what could have been better? And when you're talking with people from different disciplines. And so we did these, these things. And ultimately, by bringing people together from different disciplines, you're ready to try new things. So I think any news company out there that wants to be able to adapt more has to think about how do they bring people with different skill sets together and create this culture of experimentation. And when I say different skill sets, you need 
skills across mediums, video, audio, text. You need technology skills. You need data science skills. You need machine learning skills. But you also need journalism traditions. And everyone in this mix we're bringing together has to have mutual respect for what all these different disciplines bring into this collaboration. So those are some of the ways we set about creating the environment for a lot of really cool things that we did there, that we deployed there, that I'm happy to talk about as we go along. I absolutely love that approach that you're talking about. And I think you highlighted a really important point that I've been seeing is that we are afraid of experimentation right now because we we have that emphasis on getting everything right. And maybe talking about the lessons that we have learned by things not working out is something that we could talk about more and have that open culture of experimentation throughout different, like cross-disciplinary teams, basically. And so I think I really like the way and the approach that you spoke about. But also right now when newsrooms are suddenly thinking about AI when they have never thought about it before or AI, especially for maybe newsrooms that did not have the skill sets like big newsrooms like the Wall Street Journals, the Times, suddenly start thinking about AI. Where should they get started? What would your advice be for them? So the first few things, and I've written about this on my Medium page, the first few things that a news company should do are, first of all, make sure they have become deeply along the path of digital transformation. And by digital transformation, I mean a few things. I mean, breaking down silos in your company across disciplines. I mean, if you're coming from a legacy format like print or TV or radio, that cannot be the driver of all decisions. I mean, moving from a top-down culture to one where people on the front lines can also experiment. And I mean, also becoming highly focused on your audience and their interests and needs. So that's the basics of a digital transformation. And that has been something news orgs should be doing for the last decade. But if, if a news org hasn't started that, AI is out of reach, okay? They have to make some of those basics, that groundwork of digital transformations to do much in AI. Once they're on their path with that, the couple other things they should do initially are make sure they have their data in order. So by data, I mean both the data about people and what they do on their site, whether they read stories, whether they interact with ads. I'm talking news company wide. So it's data from about if you have a paywall, what's happening with that, your ad tech, as well as your story consumption. But it's also your data, having your data in order, stories, videos. This is a type of data itself too, the content that you are producing and so make sure you have this data stored in accessible ways where you can access it, not only for look back analysis that you might do, but actually in real time to set up systems that can make decisions in the product experiences for your users. So a strong focus on your data. And then the third thing news companies um, need to be doing, if they're especially if they're just getting going, is they need to start listening and learning about AI and understanding more about what it is. As I see a lot of people in the industry talking about it, they're talking very much philosophically. And, you know, philosophy is important, but I don't see people talking always practically. So philosophically, people are saying, should we use AI or not? Or should we let it scrape our side or not? Or should we do another deal, do a deal with open AI? You know, they're comparing it to deals in the past with tech companies. 
But really the answer is in the details. And to talk about the details and the practical things, you have to understand the whole tech stack of AI. And I've done a post on the basics of the tech stack for AI too, for people on Medium. And I, I think that just takes people spending some time learning about this. And news company leaders should not think this is only the domain of technologists. Across a news company, people need to be learning about AI. And I want to get in more into that when you're talking about across the news company having to deal with AI as well. At your time at the Wall Street Journal, how were you looking at incorporating AI maybe just beyond the newsroom, but across the entire organization? Sure. Well, actually, the advertising industry has long been more advanced in some ways in the way it distributes and programs advertisements than content. So, you know, in advertising, you have programmatic, the way the ads are delivered based on data to people. And I actually think some of the things that ad tech has done, those systems are things that will have parallels in content delivery, that there'll be programmatic content delivery more and more over time. And so there's things in that area. A lot of news companies have been using machine learning in their paywall models to figure out things about when you land the paywall, when do you ask someone to pay? And that's a big area. And I would say is that AI is what everyone's calling it now, but it's really on a, a line here. We've been on a path. There was data, advanced data analysis, and then there's machine learning, and then there's AI. And in, in some ways, AI is a marketing term for the data evolution that's been happening. And so at the Journal and other places, the use of data and machine learning has been across the businesses. And you're talking more about like the data infrastructure and the need for that to be there before kind of like layering on AI in the newsrooms. I want to get more into that because it's so important. I think that when we talk about AI, we are just skipping straight away to using AI, but not really the building blocks of it, which is the data. So how were you thinking about it at your time at the journal as well in making sure that you were having all of these building blocks in order to have AI on it? And how would you tell people to kind of like think about it more right now? So in the earlier days of this type of modeling, in earlier days, people have been working with structured data. So the biggest difference now with where we can go and what people can do is that generative AI can work with unstructured data. But in the earlier days, a lot of the things that we were looking at was how not only should data be collected and stored, but how should it be structured? And I don't think everyone saw around the corner and knew how soon it would be that models would be able to take advantage of unstructured data. And that's really what's so powerful in the evolution that's happening now. But in the earlier days, you know, and this is still true for many news companies that have not done this, really looking at what data are you collecting, you know, you'd be surprised in a lot of news companies, and I'm not speaking about the journal or the times I've actually been inside a lot of different ones. I do consulting. So in general, in a lot of news companies, there's been a culture sometimes that data is no one's job, except maybe the data scientist. But actually, it is everyone's job because, for example, when the engineers are building a new part of the website or a new part of the mobile app, they have to put tags in 
for where and when data is collected. And if they put a, a tag in on a user action that's not really that meaningful, it doesn't really help you. And if your data scientists want to look at something and it wasn't tagged, it's not being collected, and then after your engineering teams build things, they get these data logs. And I've seen in a number of news companies that teams will just say, well, I'll just kick that over to another team. And there's not a responsibility for that data, where it's going, is it all being picked up correctly? And so there's a huge responsibility for data across product design, engineering teams, not only to use it in their decision-making, but also to collect it and think with the data and the marketing and the news teams about what data should be collected. But there's also huge responsibility for data in the newsroom and in the marketing teams and other parts of the business, because there's lots of ways that you might collect data that would come through audience call-outs with the evolution of what's happening where cookies are not going to be as big a part and already are not as big of a part of consumer products because of changes at Apple and Google, different companies. First-party data is really something that more and more news companies will rely on. And whether or not you have first-party data has to do with whether or not your marketing department and potentially your newsroom have prioritized putting call-outs around asking certain questions and how they've integrated that into the user journey across your platforms. So data collection is everyone's job. And then using data smartly in your decisions is everyone's job. Using it to think about goals is everyone's job. And that's just a big part of an evolution to, to make it a, a culture of, of data. And then beyond a culture of data, I'll say also real-time data is a shift that a lot of companies need to make. So a lot of companies have gone to a place where they're, they're collecting data, but for example, maybe they don't get to see data about what happened on a Tuesday until Tuesday night. You know, the systems need to crunch it, need to run through it. There's a lot of processing time. We are in a real-time world. And you know, one of the things I've written about this, the journal that we built was a real-time data pipeline that we actually launched during the 2020 election. And that's a big spike in traffic. And having the systems that can collect that amount of data, send it to the cloud, crunch your models on it in real time in the cloud. And there's a lot of work that goes into thinking about how you split the problem up in the cloud and you have that all planned out. And then have it come back into your product and have your product react in real time and giving a different user experience. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And so news companies, even ones that are collecting data, need to be shifting also into using it in a real-time way. And that there's a lot of systems work, but it's not just the domain of technology. Because again, you want to build technology that moves towards your journalism goals, your subscriber goals, your advertiser goals. So it's really a project for everyone. I think also... When you're talking about just the data, it's so valid because data doesn't seem to be a title in anybody's job description at all. So the data scientists, right? So they think it's just the pocket of people analyzing it, but they they can only analyze what 
they're given. So, you know, it's everyone's job. Exactly. I mean, as a data scientist, it's like the number of bad data sets I've seen. And then you can't do anything with it because it's you see the potential of what could have been there, but the data was not collected in the right way. But also, I just want to be able to help people understand more that value of data when we're talking about implementing AI. What is that connection really do you see that then you can layer on AI on top of that data? Where are the opportunities then within the different sectors in the news organization that all of these data can have an impact in implementing artificial intelligence on top of that? Well, I think the opportunities depend on what paths given news companies want to go down. But this data and the technology of being able to use the data offers a lot of options that news companies can consider. So here are some options. News companies can use the masses of data that they are collecting to affect the reporting they do. They could use it as reporting tools to try to uncover newer different things that they were not able to uncover before. That's one path. They Another path, and these are not mutually exclusive, but as you know, a lot of news companies don't have infinite resources. So sometimes you have to prioritize things, right? So another path beyond reporting tools is you can use it as a tool to change the user experience, what your website or app is giving to different people in the experience they have. You can use it to change how your pay meter interacts with them or the ads they see. You can use it also, a lot of people are talking about using it to create content and you can do that. You can use it to make videos. You can use it to make stories. One area people are not talking about though, which I think is a very big opportunity, is that AI also can look at photos and can look at videos and it can understand them. And that is very powerful in terms of scaling out the ability of human beings to try to examine things, which is part of what we do in journalism is examine things. And so using it in, in that way. So there's all these, there's all these different paths. One iteration on all on the content creation path and the user experience path that I would point out is that AI will give news companies the opportunities not only to give people different stories in a newsletter or different stories in on the homepage, meaning a different mix of stories. It will give news companies the ability to write individualized stories. So it's not just, do I give you story ABC and I give Louise story XYZ? It's like, you will get story A and I will get story A, but there's a possibility that within story A, yours could be different. It could be more relevant to you based on where you live. It could be more relevant to you based on politicians that you're interested in, that you're following. It could be more relevant based on your stock portfolio and what companies you are invested in. And this is a really big opportunity for news companies, but it's one that news companies may or may not want to philosophically pursue. And I am not saying, in fact, that it is something that news companies should all do. You know, I think everyone needs to get their data in order, but this is more of a choice. Do you want, is it important as a news editor and as a news company to give everyone the same story or not? You could argue it both ways. You could say everyone needs the same story because that's important 
for the trust and the public that you know you saw the same story that I saw. We can discuss it, right? Or you could say, well, no, you should atomize that story, break it down and give people the version that's relevant to them. And, and I think there's a solid argument in both areas. And whatever path a news company chooses, I think they must be clear with their audiences on what they're doing. So if they're going to give people some different versions, you just have to put disclaimers and explain what you're doing and why you're doing that. And this will be an area, I think, of experimentation and one that maybe offers some opportunities for higher audience in- engagement, which is sometimes an issue for news content. That actually also brings me into my next point that I want to get into deeper is generative AI, because you're talking about personalization. Generative AI has that ability to really. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Personalize things with the data that you give it uh, to make it more specific. And how are you thinking about generative AI's role then in the newsroom? Is that different from the way you think about machine learning and natural language generation and all of those other like subsets of AI that has been used in the newsroom? What should executives be thinking right now when you're looking at generative AI in the news organization? So, you know, when people are thinking about AI right now, most of the conversation is going to whether or not newsrooms will use it to write simple stories. And By the way, a lot of newsrooms already do this. You know that most of the wire services have been having models that write stories about sports games and earnings, corporate earnings releases for years now. So that is not new. And those stories were able to be written because they had standard structures. And so they could take structured data and just formulaically write these stories. What generative AI is offering is the ability potentially for a reporter to come in with transcripts, even just the audio, and then tons of notes and a court case and maybe a video from something they attended. So not even all text-based and dump this all into a model and then have this model. And this is not the output on this would not be good right now. This is not something that really could effectively be done for stories right now. But in the future, maybe dump it all in this model and say, you want a story written in the style of XYZ publication, maybe even written in the style of a certain writer that's such and such length long. You might even be able to get into the the tone, different aspects of it and synthesize, read all this and put it out. And 
there are some versions that can be made now, but that's what people in the industry who do not like the idea of AI taking journalism jobs, that's what they're they're concerned about, right? Is that that's an essential part of the journalist role to create the story. It's also a very essential part of the editor's role to go through and work through that. And so that's what most people are talking about. I have been urging the companies that I work with and people I know in the industry to really think about what AI could help us as an industry do that we couldn't do without AI. To think about new things. Let's be honest. The news industry has an engagement issue. You can look at all of the charts from Pew and all the different data about where people spend their time. A lot of Americans spend very, very little time with news. Even the people who do pay for news and consume news do not spend a lot of hours in a given day on it. So if there are things that more of the public would spend time engaging with and learn from and participate more in the public discourse because we can offer new products, new types of content with AI that expands on the core mission of journalism. That would be so terrific. And I think, you know, the reality is there's only so much time and bandwidth in news companies to do things and that news companies should try to focus on that that area of where can we use AI to get far higher engagement with the public on what we're doing? And then how can we empower journalists to do what journalists have always done so well? One of my favorite books about journalism is um, a book that's been around a long time called The Elements of Journalism. And it's by Bill Kobach and Tom Rosenstiel. Reading that in my first journalism course. I would recommend anyone listening to this podcast to go reread it because I think these elements of journalism and what is journalism for are true permanently and they're true in the era of AI. And let's just talk about a few of the top ones that these authors highlight. They say to uncover new information. Well, that's true. We need to uncover new information. And I think AI tools may help. If you're doing, if you're looking at data sets, if you're looking at public records, if you're reviewing videos, they may help. But I think that humans need to guide them. What are we looking for? And they need to review them. But also, a lot of new information comes from going out and talking with people. And people need to do that. So that's one thing. They say lifting up voices that would not be heard otherwise. So essential. People do that. People find those people. People bring the voices out. They say bearing witness. Bearing witness is something journalists do. Going to the scene of something, that's something people do. And so I think like just really staying committed to the things that journalism is here for and empowering and supporting journalists to do those things while using AI to help us make product experiences that lead to greater engagement with the public could really be a win for the news industry and the public in general. Yeah, I love that. You brought us down back to the basics of what journalism is to remind us really that AI can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We need journalists to go out there. But also when we are thinking about generative AI, we are having all these conversations of how AI can help us with so many different tasks in the newsrooms. And how do you see the role of journalists maybe shifting? One of the biggest questions I actually get asked all the time is, what jobs are at most threatened by the introduction of AI in the newsrooms? What jobs are most at risk? What would you say about that? 
Well, you know, things come in circles often. And I do think that there are some functions in a newsroom that AI will be able and can do. And have already done. Like, as we said earlier, for years, the wire services have had basic sports stories and corporate earnings stories written by models and, and human beings used to do those. So that, that's already been happening. One interesting circle I see coming around is that we've had a long decade or maybe 15 years now where news organizations have rightfully so wanted to make sure they have stories about whatever's trending around the internet. And you've had news companies come and go, expand and contract some of the big digital news companies where there's been a lot of rewriting about things going on around the internet, looking for trending topics. And I think in those years to bring traffic to your website, that was something news companies needed to put some resources in because that was a wave that was going on. And to, to keep public impact journalism in the public eye, news companies needed to make sure that they were doing what was necessary to come up high on Google and indifferent and on Facebook, because that's where the audiences were. And you want to welcome big audiences. Well, what's so interesting to me is those jobs actually were some of the more controversial jobs in newsrooms, right? A lot of longtime journalists felt like if you're sitting there rewriting stuff that's around the web, you're not doing this like really core to journalism work of going out and uncovering new information and so on. And so, you know, they were controversial jobs. Those jobs, some of those jobs, if what you're doing is rewriting stuff that's around the internet, those will be things that AI can do now. So one of the things I think is really interesting is that AI will free up the cost of having to do some of this internet chasing that news companies have had to do. And there's very talented reporters who have been working on desk doing some of those things who would love to get to spend their time instead going out and interviewing people and doing other things. And so I think it's kind of like the sweet revenge for the super traditional journalist here, right? That it's like now AI can do those things that had seemed like a little that were internet chasing so that what that means is that journalism companies have to focus on what makes journalism unique which is actual reporting and un uncovering new things and bearing witness. And so in some ways, I think journalists will get to spend more time potentially out reporting. And that would be good because the other thing is you can't look at anything in a vacuum. And AI is on the rise at the same time that trust in journalism is down and people are unengaged in news. And I personally think part of the reason trust is down and people are unengaged is because in general, reporters spend less time out in the field. And so communities just see fewer journalists. And a lot of news outlets around the country, for example, have fewer journalists. And if you live in a community and you never meet a journalist and you never see a journalist there, I don't know, do you trust them? So being able to get people out in the field, reporting, interviewing people will not only uncover new, great, important information, but also should build trust among the public who sees journalists at work. Yeah, and this could really help the journalism landscape in that way to just get people out more out in the communities and free them out from like 
mundane tasks that they might have to do. At the same time, there's been a lot of talk regarding the generative AI search experience that's coming around that's threatened to change search completely in the next year at least. And how should we be thinking then about the business model of news and shifting that completely? Because as you were saying, it's relying on SEOs and getting it higher ranked in Google. But now if Google can just summarize your content, what happens to your views then? So I think that one of the things we have to do is try our best to look around the corner and pay attention to how do audience members taste change and what do they want differently because of AI? So we cannot assume as AI keeps going that people will have the same desire for the same formats of content. And one thing I think we can clearly see a line heading towards is that people will want and already do want answers to questions. This is challenging for news companies because traditionally in a lot of news coverage, you say, well, on the one hand this, on the other hand that, and you spell out all the arguments and the reader can read it, synthesize and decide what they think. And Perhaps unfortunately, if you think, you know, what's happening to society, if, if more synthesis is going to be done by machines, does that mean people don't synthesize as much in their heads? So maybe this is not great for society, but it's a reality that more synthesis is going to be done by machines and people are going to, in the future iterations of whatever the surge experience becomes, just get the answers. And so will they have the tolerance for stories that you come in and they say, well, on the one hand, you might think of this, on the other hand, or will they just say, I want the answer? And so I think that news companies may need to think, and it won't be the same answer for every area of coverage. International coverage might be very different from personal finance coverage. And that might be very different from coverage of the movie industry. But within, in a nuanced way, in your content strategy across every different area, think about, are you there to tell a story? Are you there to present lots of different arguments, let people make up their mind? Are you there to give an answer? And I think that understanding the balance of what audiences will expect and want is important. And that's one of the ways I just see the search, what happens in search changing news industries the most. It's not only about how the news and content get distributed, which is important. It's also about how is it going to change user habits and expectations when they go on their devices for what they get from any consumer product. Because news companies have to remember, like, we're just a consumer product. We're a consumer product like any other consumer product. And consumers can go to other non-news products. And so you have to just think about what people expect when they come into your into your product. Yeah, exactly. I think it's also like predicting what the user experience would be and adapting it to like how social media, the iPhone changed the news experience, smartphones changed the news experience. It's, this is just another one of that aspect. But also at the same time, when we're, we've been comparing AI a lot to all the past changes in digital media that people are thinking about. And so in respect to that, I'm also thinking, how should we be thinking of this build versus buy question for the tech? Should we be keeping that within going with vendors outside? And how should we be evaluating that decision? Because there's a lot of right now, especially generative AI startups that are there out in the market, pitching to newsrooms and talking to newsrooms about offering this product. But at the same time, should they be thinking about investing in that tech themselves? How would you advise uh, newsrooms to think about that? 
So I think the first question that news companies have to figure out is strategically, how proprietary do they want to be about their data? So do they want the data not only around their audiences, but also the data of their content? Remember, every story is data. Do they want that data to be proprietary and they do not want others to be able to use it in models? And they, Or are they willing for that data to be part of the broader internet ecosystem? There are pros and cons of both approaches, but the answer to that question pretty much dictates what you've got to do in build versus buy. Because if you are proprietary and you are not willing for your data to be used by others, you've got to build, okay? Because if you are proprietary, you don't want others to use your data. So what are you going to do? Nothing in AI? Like, I don't really think so. This is like keyboards were introduced, computers are introduced. You've got to use them. It's going to, it's a part of technology and the way things are going to work and already work. So if you want to be super proprietary, you're going to have to build your own. If you're not so proprietary and you're willing for the data of your content, the data of your users in some way to be used by others, you can buy things. And there's a lot of iterations on buying. Sometimes you buy a, a model, a pre-trained AI model that's frozen, and then you might train it yourself on top of your data and not provide your data to the model builder. So that's semi-proprietary. But then you have to remember you bought a frozen model and it's not getting updated with all the advances that are happening if you want that pre-trained model to keep getting updated and not to buy it frozen, you'd have to share your data into that model in some way. There will be a lot of walls developed where maybe you can share the data and the vendor has it, but they agree that they don't use it with other clients. Or there, there may be safeguards depending on the different arrangements. But I think that's where you start is strategically how proprietary do you want to be? And the more proprietary you want to be, the more you're going to have to build yourself. And it's very expensive right now to train a model from scratch, pretty much out of reach for most news companies. But the cost of GPUs and, you know, which are used to train these models, these are these chips that were originally invented for video games that are now used to train AI models. It's coming down. So, you know, some step along the way, maybe not pre-training from scratch, but maybe buying a frozen model and training on top of it will become more and more accessible to news companies, not tiny ones, but bigger ones. So once they figure out how proprietary they want to be, they can figure out if they have to build. It's not always a pro or con to be proprietary. Sometimes being proprietary is smart because you're the only one then who can write a story like a certain news outlet, for example, because you're the only one with that content. On the other hand, sometimes being super proprietary means you become irrelevant because the whole world starts operating on a set of information and things that like you're just not a part of. And I don't think there's a right answer to this, but I just think that news leaders have to be thinking very carefully about how proprietary they want to be and what, what does that mean? I think that's a really great guiding question in terms of deciding on the build versus buy question on how proprietary we need to be with our data. And I really loved kind of understanding more about all of these different steps. I've gotten a lot of clarity, I feel like, in terms of how to think about AI in the newsroom. And I want to know more from you because you've seen the AI evolve in, in the news organization and led that. So what are you most excited right now about in this generative AI era? Well, I'm, I don't know if excitement's the right word, but I'm just super curious to keep seeing it all play out. 
But I will, I will give you a little personal use that I did recently. I've just co-written a book with another journalist named Ebony Reed, and we wrote it ourselves. There's no AI involved in writing our book. Let's just get that out there. <laughs> we need to put that disclaimer now on. <laughs> it's coming out in 2024. It's going to be a great book. So people should follow me to follow that. Anyways, we're working on the cover. And of course, our publisher has a great designer working on the cover who's come up with many concepts. But at one point, I wanted to be able to better articulate what I meant. And I am terrible at sketching. Okay, that's not my strength. So, you know, I went into Dolly, which is the experimental version of drawings from ChatGPT, from OpenAI, essentially. And I said draw such and such, draw such and such, draw such and such. And no, they're not the quality that they should go on our book cover. But that was better than a Louise story sketch. (laughs) (laughs) And I was able to like iterate on my idea like very quickly. And so I could just see how, you know, if you want to kind of um, sketch and iterate, you can do that in different ways with tools. And I found that useful. And um I don't know if the designer in our book cover is going to listen to this because I haven't mentioned to them that I did that. Anyways, it's not being used at all for the cover. Humans are doing the cover, but it helped me develop the ideas in a productive way. I find especially these image generation tools help you unleash creativity because somebody who might not be able to draw something, if you have that imagination and can translate that into a visual that you can then show to a designer what's in your head before they have to take multiple stabs at it. That was exactly it. And you know, We take for granted as journalists, we take writing for granted. I can write something so fast and I can articulate what I mean efficiently. But the way I feel about drawing, there are people that feel that way about writing. And so great, you know, I think for people to be able to express themselves better, to have these tools could be productive in many areas. And so I don't know if I'm excited or what, but I'm definitely curious and always enjoy learning more, experimenting with things and seeing where they go. Luis, this has been so great. And also touching up, uh, finishing up with your personal example of how it's been helping you get your book cover ready. And I'm very excited for that book coming out next year. And so thank you so much, Luis, for joining me on the Newsroom Robots podcast. Thank you for having me. That was Luis Story, the former chief product and technology officer and chief news strategist at the Wall Street Journal. Stay updated with our newsletter by signing up at newsroomrobots.com. This episode is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grants. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.